This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 65. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. Now, I know at the end of episode 64, I had a rather ambitious list of comics that I was going to cover this episode, but it's been a very busy past few days for me. I originally was going to cover Action 983, Trinity 11, and Super Sons number 6, but... I was lucky to be able to squeeze in the small amount of recording time that I did have this week. So I had to pare the list down to just Action 983 and Trinity 11. And I will get to the other two issues on the list in the very near future. Um, these are excellent issues. I'm looking forward to talking about you guys with them. But... At first, as always, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. However, this week, I don't have a solid thing I want to talk about. Uh, part of that is because of how busy I've been. It is the end of the school year, and even though we're homeschooled, uh, we have some activities that we do that that are tied into to the county educational system and uh, most notably my daughter's orchestra and they've been having a lot of end of school year events that have been tying up a lot of our time. Um, I, my, I am still helping my wife recover from her surgery last month. Uh, basically she doesn't get a lot of sleep from it which means I don't get a lot of sleep from it. Plus I've been working out a lot lately and I, I, Along the lines of how people who are really into languages will will teach themselves new languages with online courses and stuff like that, I like to teach myself new martial art techniques, and I've been researching a lot of that and doing a lot of drills for those. So I'm just really tired, and you can probably tell from my voice that I am pretty tired. It is 9.20 in the morning as I'm recording this. I've already almost finished my second very large cup of coffee out of the four that I will probably allow myself today. So I know it's going to be a long day because I usually don't finish my second very large cup of coffee until around 11. Um, so I don't have a solid you know, thing I really want to talk about, but I just have some topics on my mind that I just want to share with you guys. Uh, one is because I've been so tired, it does affect my mental well-being a little bit in that without the right amount of rest, my brain doesn't make enough happy chemicals, which, if I'm not careful, convinces me that I'm depressed, which I'm not. Everything is pretty good with my life right now. I, I, I own my privilege 
And I know that I have some opportunities that other people don't. And I try to use those uh, opportunities and, and privileges responsibly. And, you know, my marriage is good. My kid is happy. I live in a decent place. You know, we're reasonably, you know, income secure, things like that. But without the... <laughs> I like to listen to power metal. And power metal is very bouncy. And my brain sometimes will convince itself that it's not like, if it's not power metal bouncy, that it's sad. And it, that's not the case. So I have to remind, I have, it's a conscious effort to remind myself, you're not sad, you're not depressed, you're just tired, you're, and because you're tired, you're not feeling exuberant, and not being exuberant is not the same thing as being kind of down. And so that's just something I've been struggling with a lot lately. Um, what makes me feel pretty good, and I'm sorry, I, I really don't have a way to tie any of this into Superman this week. That's usually part of the of the creative process is that, you know, whatever thing I want to talk about that's social or personal, I try to find a way to tie it into Superman comics or Superman movies or Superman cartoons somehow. Um, I, I just don't have that this week. I'm sorry. This is just me talking. Um, but... Anyway, one thing that makes me feel pretty good is a lot of stuff I'm seeing in the news. Not everything I'm seeing in the news because there are some bad stuff. But I am seeing more of a shift to, to people or areas leaning progressive. I saw an article today about how western Pennsylvania, which, is, which butts up against Ohio and is therefore traditionally more conservative. It's starting to lean more progressive. I'm seeing more and more Democrats winning uh, elections. Um, just this week, the first uh, female mayor was elected, was elected to Jacksonville, like ever. And it's the first time a Democrat has won that seat in like 60-something years. And that was the final... A big city holdout for 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 Democrats not holding that seat, so that's really good. Uh, Rudy is is being sued twice, and one of the one of those lawsuits is for sexual assault. I'm sure Discovery and that is going to come up with some things that could criminally prosecute him. Something that's already come up is how he and Trump were were conspiring to to take bribes for pardons, which there's some legal debate about whether or not that's illegal or not, but I'm sure that's going to lead to more and more things. And I'm, you know, of course, Trump himself is being, you know, continually sued and he's being, you know, constantly investigated and he's already been indicted and I'm sure another one's going to come out very soon. So, you know, that ties back into my conversation about justice from a few weeks ago. And all those things are very important. And of course, there's still a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to talk more about some of the really terrible uh, anti-LBGTQ laws that are coming out across the country and most prominently where I am in Florida once we get to the first week of June. Um, that's coming up in a couple weeks. Um, but I want to hold off on that. It's just, just to say that you know there are still plenty of bad things happening. There's a good chance that those things are going to dig Republicans who are proposing and passing these bills and laws, it's going to dig them deeper into an electoral hole. 
but it's not a guarantee. So we just have to keep working and we have to keep trying and we have to keep pushing for, you know, progressive values and, and progressive policies and progressive lawmakers and progressive judges so that we can shift things back to, you know, not, not back to, but to a place where everyone uh, gets equal representation, everyone is treated equally, and not just equality, but equity for everybody. And that's, as you guys know, that's very important to me, and I hope it is for you as well. So like I said, not a real, <laughs> not a real solid Fortress of Solitude segment this week, uh, which, which you know, kind of ties into our, our, our topic of discussion for Action Comics. So I guess it does tie in a little bit that things at the Fortress over in Action Comics are a little shaky right now. This week's topic was pretty shaky. So there you go. There you go. There's your Superman tie-in. So as I didn't have much to talk about to begin with, I don't have any more to talk about. So let's go discuss some comic books. Okay, again, this week we are going to start out with Action Comics number 983. This issue is written by Dan Jurgens with pencils and inks by Victor Bogdanovic, who we've seen in the first story arc of New Superman. Jonathan Galapion is the inker. Mike Spencer does the colors and Rob Lee does the letters. Clay Mann and Tomeo Mori does the cover. And Michael Janin, or Janine does the variant cover. Um, again, I'm not sure how to pronounce Michael's last name, so I'm just probably going to say it both ways every time. Um, I really, really like the main cover on this one. It is... Um, almost a collage of action. We have Supergirl in the very front, kind of flying upwards along the page, uh, shooting her heat vision. We have Steel uh, with his hammer reared back, ready to go. We have Lana Lang, Superwoman's fist coming in from off panel. We have uh, Kong Kennen, who looks like he's throwing down with Hank Henshaw, but the perspective on it is wrong. We have the Eradicator uh, with his back to the reader, kind of like firing up an energy blast. It looks like we have Blank's hand and Mongol's hand coming in from off the page. And then in the very center is Superman, who looks like he's climbing out of where he's been punched down into a big white crater. And again, the perspectives are all a little different. They don't quite match up. It's a very cool cover. It's very evocative of what goes on the inside, um, which will make a little more sense when we get to it. I'll kind of double back to it. The variant is equally cool, but not as evocative as the action. It is Superman, Steel, and Crypto, but it's Crypto as he looked in the New 52 or in the um, the death of the New 52 Superman story arc that we covered way back when, where he almost kind of looks like a white German shepherd or almost like a husky. And they're all just kind of floating in space, even though I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. Again, it'll make more sense when we get into it. Um, I, as much as I like 
Janine's, uh, or maybe it's Hanin. I don't know. I didn't even think about that. I gotta ask. I'm gonna, I gotta throw this out there to Twitter. Or you guys listening, if you know how to pronounce, um, Michael's last name, let me know. Spell it out for me phonetically on Twitter. Um, it makes sense that it would be Hanin almost, but I don't know. Um, but I do like the main cover better as it evokes the, the action on the inside of the book. Um, I, it really makes me wish Clayman was doing the interior art on this book. And I hate that he's not. Um, I've talked about Bogdanovic as we were, uh, covering the first arc, the first six issues or so of New Superman. He's a fine artist. His style lends it more to a humorous story. I think it worked better with Yang's writing than it does with Jurgen's writing. And it's not a huge deal for me because it's been a while and it's been so long that I don't remember exactly what it says. But I remember he said something very off-putting on Twitter but by now, it's a couple years ago, and I don't think he's doubled down on it or anything. So I think maybe he kind of learned his lesson, or at least learned to keep his, keep his, metaphorically, his mouth shut. But I am just not a massive fan of Bogdanovic's artwork. But again, it, it's fine, it's just not my favorite. Um, now, as always, if you're new to the show, welcome. And if this is your first episode, I highly recommend starting from the beginning to get all caught up on everything that we've done so far, but I will give a little recap of what we've been doing so far in this story arc. And uh, as part of this arc, Hank Henshaw has resumed his cyborg Superman identity through magical science nonsense, and he has organized a new revenge squad composed of Blank, who is a villain that was introduced in the 2015 Lois and Clark miniseries, Mongol, um, Metallo, with a really interesting new body, the Eradicator, and Zod. And they have uh, attacked the Fortress of Solitude. So, for various reasons, uh, Zod wants to get a Phantom Zone projector uh, with, and he's explained that it's for the purpose of getting his army out of the Phantom Zone. We'll see. Um, and everybody else has their various reasons. It's it's to do bad things with the technology that's inside. Meanwhile, while trying to stop Henshaw and the Eradicator for breaking Zod out of uh, Blackgate Prison, Superman was negatively affected by what's called the Black Vault, which is a energy jo- energy dome of Kryptonian technological origin, and he is functionally blind. And uh, the battle is not going well for Superman against the, all these very, very powerful foes. But uh, Superman's allies have shown up to help. We have Kong Kennan, the Superman of China. We have Supergirl. We have Lana Lang, Superwoman. We have Steel. And we have Lex in his Superman-styled armor. And Clark's main objective not only is to keep the Revenge Squad out of the fortress but to make sure that they don't find out about Lois and John. Now, Blank knows about Lois and John because he is telepathic. He has yoinked that information out of Clark's head. 
the Eradicator knows about them. Um, but I don't think anybody else does. I don't think they've really shared that information. And Zod definitely does not. And that is Clark's main objective, to keep Zod away from his family. And we open with Clark, I'm sorry, not Clark, but with Lois and John running through the fortress, being led by Kellex, who was telling them that their safety is Clark's highest priorities. And um, the, uh, the Kellex is saying that in accordance with Cal's wishes, you two must evacuate the fortress. Lois says we can't leave. Clark is in real trouble. And Kellex says, if you value your safety and that of your son, you must leave Lois Lane. As of now, this place is a war zone. And we see as they kind of run into what I'm thinking of as Clark's armory, we see the big purple Kryptonian war suit, most famously from the Reign of the Superman arc, um, although it was also appeared in a, a handful of stories building up to it. Um, including the beginning of the Day of the Krypton Man. We also see in the background, and this is a fun little touch, inside kind of a display case is the suit that Clark wore during the Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite story arc from, I want to say, 1991. And that's a really, really interesting era of Superman stories. Kind of that early 90s pre-Triangle era is... Kind of hit or miss for me, but there's some real gems in there. Um, and we see kind of like the tail fins of what looks like a very 1950s science fiction ship. And we go outside, and we hear, here we have the Revenge Squad squaring off against Team Superman. And uh, Clark is, you know, naming them one by one, saying six of my deadliest enemies together. Their goal, destroy Earth and all life on it to build a new militaristic Krypton to make matters worse. My sight is gone. I am blind, but I'm not alone. And it's a it's a really cool shot of uh, all these. And I'm lumping Lex in with them, all these all these heroes. And uh, one bit of props that I'm definitely going to give to Bogdanovic on there. And this might be, and this might just be a coloring thing. This might be a shading thing. So I might meet, might be more appropriate to give um, props to uh, Glapion and Spicer on this one. But I've talked before how the Reborn suit is kind of the perfect halfway point between the classic Superman cloth suit and the new 52 Superman um, what is it, like armor, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, like, um, nano, nanobot armor, um, because it has the, it has the belt and the no trunks from the, from the new 52 suit, but it has the, the red boots and, you know, all cloth, um, of the classic suit, but the way the inking and the coloring is done from where Superman is standing off in a distance on this double page splash and his neck is in shadow, it almost makes it look like um, the suit has the banded collar of the new 52 suit. And I'm, I'm not mad at the banded collar. I think that is, is pretty sharp. Um, the only thing that really bugged me about the new 52 suit is the fact that it was ostensibly armor, 
or that it looked like armor. It wasn't really armor. It wasn't really protective, um, I don't think. Um, but it was kind of like a techno suit, right? And that made the boots look really clunky, even when Jim Lee drew it. Because Jim Lee and um, George Perez, they both had this thing where they could draw something, they could come up with an original costume and make it look great, and then pass it on to somebody else and it not look as great. And even when Lee was drawing the boots, the boots looked clunky. If this suit, if the rebirth, excuse me, the reborn suit had that banded collar, that would be a tight look. I I fully admit that. On the next page, we get a close-up of Zod's face. And the way Bogdanovic draws Zod's beard, it's like a zigzag tattoo going from his sideburns to his beard, which is a weird look. That, it makes me wonder if the, and I don't think anybody else draws Zod exactly like that, and it's not consistent from page to page. Sometimes it's uh, a more organic progression from sideburns to goatee, but it's, it, it's a big old, like, almost SS, like, Nazi SS zigzag across his face. And again, it's, it's a striking look, but I don't know if it's necessarily one that I love. I especially don't like the way he draws Henshaw's face. Henshaw almost looks a little goofy. Um, it reminds me of, ah, goodness, I can't remember the guy's name. He drew Spider-Man for a really long time. He drew uh, Uncanny X-Men in, like, that stage right after, right around the all-new, all-different era. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. Um, hang on, I'm going to go check. One second. Okay, yeah, Umberto Ramos is the person I'm thinking of. Very, very striking, very distinctive art style, but not one that is necessarily my taste. Um, uh, Henshaw calls the Superman squad a bunch of wannabes, which really doesn't feel like the dialogue I'm used to from Henshaw. Um, but I like what Lana says. Lana says family in spirit as well as in blood. I like that a lot. I had to do a little research as to why Lana has her powers. And I don't have a definitive answer to this. I've talked about it before. Lana got her powers when the new 52 Superman died. And he gave off a second solar flare. And part of that flare went into Lana and gave her powers similar to the energy era blue Superman. But in the post-reborn merge continuity, New 52 Superman never died because he was, basically that was just the Superman that we know wearing the New 52 suit for a while. The New 52 suit was just a phase that our Superman was going through and some of their histories were merged, like the fact that Ma and Pa are both dead. But essentially that Superman never died, therefore he never was able to give off the solar flare which gave her her powers. And I don't think they've ever retconned why Lana still has her powers. And that is a big part of why I dropped that series. Because it's just not thought out very well. I like Lana as a character. I think her look is really striking. I think her powers are really interesting. 
it's just the way the series was handled that was frustrating to me. Um, but I did look it up. She does still have her power. She was wearing a suit that was um, replicating those powers for a couple issues. But then her powers just came back just because. So I don't know, man. I, if, if, if you're a big fan of the Superwoman series and you maybe read it a little more in depth than I did and you have the answer to that question, by all means, please respond to the tweet for this show or for this episode, and let me know, or, or send me a DM, or something, I don't know, but, uh, Superman fills the rest of the team in, you know, that, you know, this is why, you know, it's important that we guard the fortress, because we don't want the bad guys to hold, get hold of Kryptonian technology, Superman asked Henshaw how he regressed to becoming a cyborg again, and Henshaw says, not a regression, an improvement, which kind of touches on what I was referencing before, where, this was a choice that Henshaw made, which does fly in the face of character development for Henshaw from the late 2000s uh, toward the end of the Sinestro Corps War, where Henshaw just wanted to not exist anymore. And here, in the New 52 continuity, he was just a regular guy, but then when the continuities merged, he remembered being the cyborg, and he used this... Uh, the magical nonsense of the Oblivion Crystal to give himself his cyborg identity and powers back, which to me just comes across as it doesn't need to make sense because Henshaw is mentally unbalanced. And I get it. That that works as far as Henshaw goes. If you were maybe a new reader, if you weren't like a, a really in-depth Superman fan, it might not work too much, but for Henshaw it works. Um we see that Zod is being very strategic. He is speaking telepathically to Blank, again, who is a telepath, and having him coordinate. Basically, he's taking charge of the Revenge Squad, and he is using Blank to relay orders to the rest of the team. It reminds me a lot of how during Morrison and later Mark Wade's and later Joe Kelly's JLA, that the uh, rest of the team would use or utilize Martian Manhunter to relay telepathic communications to each other. I do like the way Bogdanovic draws blank. He makes him look kind of shriveled. He looked kind of emaciated, especially around his mouth. He looks like an old man. And I think that's neat. It gives him a much creepier look. Um, blank was kind of creepy to begin with, but when you throw in this kind of withered effect to him, and he's supposed to be, he's an albino to begin with. Um, not that albinos are inherently creepy. Sorry if that came across that way. But the way he's drawn as a person with completely chalk white skin and chalk white hair. And his sociopathic personality comes across as creepy. Giving him a death-like appearance makes him that much creepier. Um, but... Uh, Zod tells Superman, I just want the Phantom Zone projector, L, spare your friend's lives and give it to me. Superman refuses, and Zod says that was exactly what I was hoping you would say. Zod smashes into Superman and sends them flying. Zod very quickly realizes that there's something wrong with Superman. He, he makes a note that Superman didn't even raise a hand to defend himself as Zod attacked him. He gets an up-close look at Superman's eyes and realizes that Superman is blind. Zod uses blank to relay orders. He, he tells 
Henshaw to attack Supergirl. Uh, Supergirl says that uh, I've already put a stop to one cyborg Superman, care to test your luck, referring to her father in the first arc of the Supergirl series that we covered. Um, he sends the Eradicator to attack Lana. Lana blasts him with some energy, but the Eradicator says your energy signature carries an aspect of Krypton, which I can absorb and turn against you. Kenan goes to attack Blank. Blank fakes him out and says, wait, I don't have powers. Please don't hit me. And Kenan realizes that Blank is, is thinking at him in Mandarin because, you know, Blank can just get inside his head and think the concepts at him. Um, but Blank stalls him long enough before he says, you should, I should, however, mention I'm telekinetic. You might have heard of me. The name's Blank. I kill people. And then he drops a mountain of ice on Kenan's head and says, and I'm more, I'm always glad to add more to the list. Inside the fortress, uh, Lois is contemplating getting inside this kind of like Bespin Cloud City twin car thing. Um, only it doesn't have domed. It's it it doesn't have a dome over the cockpits. It's just open air. I think it's supposed to be some kind of like Kryptonian pleasure. You know, just casual driving around air car. Um, Lois is telling John to get in the car. He says, we need to stop. Um, Lois is saying, I don't even want Zod to know you exist. And, um, Lois is double thinking, getting in the car. She says that open cockpit thing looks like a snowball could bring it down. Um, outside, Steel is doing very well against Metallo. Metallo does the whole kryptonite energy thing and Steel just hits him in the face with his kinetic hammer. Which And I do like how after Steel hits Metallo in the face, Metallo's neck looks a little distended. Mongol has picked up Lex and is going to smash him, but Lex blasts Mongol with his armor. Inside the fortress, uh, Superman is wailing on Zod, but Zod is mostly shrugging the blows off, saying that Superman is holding back. But Zod does not hold back and punches Superman into a wall. Um, uh, Zod says, I'll give you credit for one thing. You might be blind, but you aren't letting it stop you. Using your hearing to compensate. King onto my heartbeat. My now Superman has grabbed uh, Zod in a chokehold from behind. Zod says, effective until someone uses against you and, and super screams into Superman's ear, which causes an overload and just about makes Superman pass out. Uh, Lois says, it's so quiet. Now, John, we're leaving. There's a close-up on Zod says, I hear. Who is that? That woman, that boy. All those years you had a family and I never knew. You don't get to have them. And he stomps Superman's face down into the ice. In the next scene, we see the hover car flying up into the air. Zod says, leaving before we've had a chance to meet. How rude you humans are. And he blasts the car out of the sky and says, or should I say, were. Supergirl sees all this, shouts no, attacks Zod, but he sends her smashing into a wall. Um, Zod tells Blank to tell the uh, other Revenge Squad members to release their opponents. 
uh, Zod is walking through the fortress saying Jor-El favored floor safes as this place is of his making and he scans the floor with his with his x-ray vision. He rips up a piece of the floor and pulls out the Phantom Zone projector. The rest of the Revenge Squad walks in. Henshaw says, we have what we came for. Now free your army so we can raise this world. And Zod said, is that what you think I want? The Phantom Zone is a massive expanse. You can't just open the door and release the prisoners. Someone has to find them. And Henshaw says, well then, do it. Uh, just then, the rest of Team Superman comes in. They go to charge Zod, but he uh, blasts them with the projector and sends them into the Phantom Zone. Metallo asks what the Phantom Zone is, and the Eradicator says, Another dimension, the ultimate purgatory of punishment and exile, a timeless sensory deprivation tank that in time will drive any prisoner mad. Um, apparently... Um, either the Eradicator is just biological enough or is so technologically far advanced that it has a mind that can be read telepathically, which I think is an interesting touch. And um, Zod telepathically asks via blank, you understand what must be done now, my friend? And the Eradicator says, yes, assist you in your true mission. At which point Zod points the projector at the Eradicator and Henshaw and sends them both into the Phantom Zone. And we see the both of them, as well as all of Team Superman, floating in the endless void of the Phantom Zone. And Zod says, my Saish um, blank is saying that he can't read any of... Zod's mind other than what Zod projects at him and Zod says my psi shield training causing you problems you will know everything when the time is right telepath all that matters now is that events are unfolding exactly as I desire so this is a good um basically fight episode or issue excuse me um like I said I'm not a fan of Bogdanovics I always said I almost said Bogdanov oof of Bogdanovic's um, aesthetic style, but like I talked about when we were covering his art on New Superman, he has a very effective kinetic style. He portrays movement very well. Um, like I said, one of my favorite things is when Steel hits Metallo in the face with the hammer and we see Metallo's neck get distended just a little bit. So he really is very good at portraying action. So in an issue that is all action, it it does make sense. Like I said, I'd rather see someone like Clayman or or Janine or Jenin or Hanin um, do the interiors on a book like this. But we will get stuff like that in the future. We will get Michael's work on um on uh, Superman and the Authority, we'll get it on a little bit on Johnson's Action Comics run. It's going to be a ways, but we'll get there, and it'll be well worth the wait. Um, so, like I said at the top of the show, I am having to make the show a little shorter than I have been. I'm having to go back to kind of the two 
issues per episode uh, formula, at least for this week, until my schedule kind of levels back out. I am going to take a break before I move on to the next issue. Um, as I've been saying for the past month or so, the show is now ad-free, so you won't have to sit through one of those. But before I jump to my break, I just wanted to remind you that because the show is now ad-free, that I I do um, count, uh, I do rely on your on your assistance for the show now more than ever. Your your financial support. So if you enjoy the show and if you'd like to help make the show keep going, and if you'd like to help it keep better, I would invite you to visit my Patreon at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. And I will talk more about that at the end of the episode to let you know what's, what's been going on there and what's going to be going on there in the near future. But uh, in the meantime, I will be right back and we will talk about Trinity number 11. Trinity number 11 is cover dated July 19th, 2017. It is uh, written and drawn and inked by Francis Manipole with an art assist by Scott Hanna and Scott Godlewski, uh, who we just talked pretty recently about in uh, last week's issue of Superman. Uh, the colors are by Will Quintana, um, someone with the last name Blonde, who doesn't get full name credits unless they're just one of those people that does a single name, like artistic credit kind of thing. Uh, letters are by Tom Napolitano, and the variant cover is by Bill Sienkiewicz. Now, the main cover is of uh, the heads of the three Trinity members with Superman in the middle. Batman on the right and Wonder Woman on the left with their respective symbols below them in kind of a, like a sepia, just blank space. And above them is like the airlock of the Justice League Watchtower and the walls and part of the floor of the airlock are covered with this techno-organic, very H.R. Geiger squiggly stuff. The door of the airlock is open. Aquaman, Flash, and the two Green Lanterns are just kind of floating in the gravityless, oxygenless void. And then this robotic hunter that we've been seeing in the last couple of issues is standing in the middle of it, holding the armless, legless cyborg up by cables that have been ripped out of his body. It's a pretty intense cover. The variant by Sienkiewicz is black and white, and it's all, it's a sketch. And it's the, the faces of our Trinity members up close, kind of overlapping each other. It's very, it's, it's going for some serious realism on this. It's a very nice cover. I don't know that I would pick it over the main, but I do like it a lot better than some of the Sienkiewicz covers that, uh, that we've been getting on this series in the last few weeks. Or last few months, I should say. Now... Um, as always, with this show, if this is your first episode, I recommend you start from the beginning. But with Trinity, Trinity is a pretty easy read because 
it has what I think of as Buffy the Vampire Slayer syndrome, specifically the, the late 90s, early 2000s series, where in, in that series, each episode was fairly self-contained, but it contained, but the, the seasons themselves contained an overarching subplot. And in Trinity, each story arc is relatively self-contained with a very thinly connecting subplot going through them. Um, so really, with this story arc, you could jump back just a few episodes ago to get the whole story of the arc. And I do put what issues I cover for that particular episode in each um in each episode title. So it should be pretty easy for you to find it. But just to make things simpler, recently a alien virus has taken over the Justice League Watchtower. And the way this virus operates is that it creates this big incubation chamber. And the virus attaches itself to people and it makes this kind of like spider-like predator head grow over the host's head, kind of like like an arm, like a living helmet. And then it possesses their body and makes them act you know, very differently. And it has taken over uh, Aquaman, Simon Boz, and Jessica Cruz, the Green Lanterns, um, and is making them attack their fellow League members, the Flash has managed to avoid the virus by keeping his body in a vibrational state. And it has, um, like I said, the virus has grown all this techno-organic techno stuff, uh, like vines all over, the, all over the inside of the watchtower. And those vines have grabbed uh, Cyborg and basically dismembered him. Oh, he's, he's just a torso and head right now. And he's sustained such trauma that his systems are starting to crash. And if his systems crash all the way, he will die. So Batman is trying to get Cyborg somewhere where he can boot his systems back up. Uh, Superman is trying to stop the Watchtower from falling into the Earth's orbit, while Wonder Woman is dealing with this robotic hunter who is trying to exterminate the virus. And this, this android's ship has attached itself to the Watchtower. And the android says the only way to stop the virus before it reaches Earth is to detonate his ship, which will detonate the Watchtower and kill the Justice League. Now, in the course of her trying to stop this android, Wonder Woman has become infected with the, with, with the virus and has become like the queen of the hive. And we open with this splash page of Wonder Woman kind of crouching on the android's chest with her lasso wrapped around its body and its neck. And again, her, her head is covered with this kind of living organic helmet that looks like a four-eyed kind of purplish gray version of the predator's face. And she is saying in her internal monologue, I've been taken over by an alien virus and it has allowed me to see things more clearly. This android offered Superman, Batman, and me an opportunity to save our planet from contamination but at the cost of the Justice League's life. But now its true nature has been revealed to me and that this is the real monster of this tale. And we get kind of like this inner, inner journey, this vision that Wonder Woman's going on 
And one of the reasons I like Manipul's pencil so much, he does amazing layouts. He does these double page splashes and then he'll use elements of what's going on in the story to break it up. So we have Wonder Woman without the virus attached to her because again, this is like her inner, her inner sight, right? And this is what's going on inside her mind. Um, and she's holding the lasso and the lasso is kind of whirling around and there's all these panels that make up the different whirls of the, the lasso. And we see like a close-up of what the, the virus looks like, you know, when it, when it possesses people. And we see, uh, but we see its original form or it's these kind of glowing, very luminescent, kind of dragonfly, uh, butterfly, almost dragon-like little beings that are very small. And her internal monologue says, as the virus took over my body and mind, my lasso of truth has shown me who these creatures really are. Hidden beneath this dreadful visage is their true beauty. On their home planet, they danced harmoniously through the skies, engaged in an endless cycle of death and reverse. And each cycle triggered a metamorphosis, not just in them, but in their planet. And within her mind's eye, she's communicating with what these beings looked like and saying, on my world, I'm called Wonder Woman. My name is Diana, and I'm here to help work with me to give me control of my mind and body. And then it says, under the guise of exploring for knowledge, you, traveler, sought to steal their life force. For all the knowledge you have amassed, your world's progress was at a standstill. The only way you knew how to keep peace in order uh, was through unchallenged subjugation. And we see where in an attempt to avoid capture by these androids, um, they have taken on this kind of armored, uh, like almost beetle-like or larva-like state, which is very reminiscent of how people, uh, the, the outer carapace of the, these organic helmets look like when people get possessed. Um, so... Um, Wonder Woman is telling the android, you wanted to alter your own world's natural evolution and you ended up creating something you couldn't control. And so it's saying that Wonder Woman is saying you've broken the intergalactic treaty. The Green Lantern Corps is going to find out. They're going to enforce it. Um, I won't allow you to use our own watchtower to destroy us. But she's going to go save her friends first. She's going to stop the satellite from crashing to Earth. But as she punches her way out through the outer wall of the satellite, the android grabs her and slams her onto the surface of it. And I, what he says here is really interesting for a couple of reasons. He says, I cannot let this virus you feign sympathy for spread further. We must destroy our ships. Now the way feign is spelled is F-A-I-N. I had to look that up. It's Old English, which means gladly. Um, so like in old English, if they were hungry and you want to say, I could gladly eat, they would say, I would feign, I could feign eat. That doesn't apply here. Uh, contextually, I think it's just a misprint. I think they meant the traditional spelling of it, F-E-I-G-N. And so he's, from the way I interpret it, the android is accusing Wonder Woman of not really sympathizing with the virus, but for pretending to, which, and again, this came out in mid-2017. And that was a big thing in 
social discourse at the time where if a person or a group of people stand up for another group of people who are being um, put upon is not the right right term, but if they're being, um, let's say, okay, so let's say a straight person stands up for LBGTQ rights, then they would get accused of only pretending to really care about them. And in social media, it would be in terms of forgetting likes, you know, forgetting social media clout. And in terms of politics, it would be, um, you know, like a if a white Democrat was defending like a community of people of color that are, you know, having their, their rights torn apart, then the Republicans would say, well, you don't really care about them. You're just pretending to care to get votes. And so I think it's really interesting that they put that in, in this comic at the time that it came out, that you've, you've feigned sympathy for them. That's really interesting. And so the, the Android begins, begins punching Wonder Woman, saying to prevent the intergalactic community from discovering my planet's miscalculation. It's a failure uh, to correct. It could lead to war. But then Wonder Woman stops him from punching her. She punches him back and says, what you call correcting miscalculation, we call a massacre. Now we switch from Wonder Woman's point of view over to Batman's. Sorry, I had to have a sip of coffee there. Black, no sugar, thank you. Um, And again, Batman is trying to get cyborg somewhere where he can boot his systems back up and i mentioned this big incubation chamber well the incubation chamber itself is alive it looks like a big spider and on its back is this big clear thing that has all these eggs in it and the incubation chamber itself is attacking batman but batman managed to dodges uh the legs that are attacking it and he gets uh cyborg to an escape pod and uh, when the two of them are inside batman says these pods are powered independently from the rest of the watchtower it should have enough energy to reboot your system and regulate your heart Um, but then as the the big incubation chamber closes in on batman all the egg pods on its back begin to crack open now one of the things that aren't really clear in this arc is how the virus works because the, the cracking open egg pods, it's very reminiscent of the alien movies where the face hugger jumps out of the egg. It attaches to a host it implants the actual seed of the alien in the host's body, excuse me. And then the alien incubates and bursts out of the chest. And that's kind of what this is implying. But we saw Wonder Woman get infected by just being in the room with a with a bunch of virus stuff so i'm don't there's it's not really clear how it's supposed to work but it's okay it doesn't really matter um so the the incubation pod it you know again on this big spidery legs it attacks the the escape pod it it smash it punches part way through the through the protective dome over the cockpit but then batman manages to launches it manages to launch it out of the the base of the watchtower we get a shot of what the watchtower looking like and now the watchtower itself looks like a giant virus where it has this growth 
over the top of it in what looks like a pair of eyes and then a pair of mandibles reaching down or maybe smaller tentacles reaching down over the technological sides of the watchtower itself, which is pretty neat. And from there we switch over to Batman's, um, excuse me, to Superman's point of view where he is literally pushing back against the satellite as it's falling into Earth's orbit. He has his back against it. He's pressing against it, trying to get it to stop or at least shift it. And Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz, who are both infected, are are attacking him. Like Simon is biting Superman's elbow, and uh, Jessica is pulling on his other arm. And Superman is saying, "Simon, Jessica, I know you're in there. Fight the inf- fight the infection. I believe in you both." And as he's saying this, both Simon and Jessica. Uh, begin to break free of the hold of the virus. Now, as the page goes on, Superman articulates that it's the the friction in the heat of the re-entry that causes the virus to break up. But on this first panel, where it's just Superman holding the, the satellite and the, the two green lanterns beginning to waver in their in their possession, it reminds me a lot of a couple different things I've seen. Um, I've talked before a lot about how I'm not a massive fan of John Byrne's run on Superman. I think the art is good, is very good. Um, some of the story elements are just not to my liking. I appreciate the foundation of what he laid down. Um, there's a particular storyline in Action Comics, which I find actually rather offensive. It's the one uh, regarding Big Barda and Mr. Miracle. You can go research it yourself. Um, but I did have a couple issues of his Action Comics when I was growing up. And one is where he teams up with the Green Lantern Corps, which at the time, or I should specify the, the group of Green Lantern Corps members who'd been assigned to Earth at that time. And so he teams up with like Hal and Orissa and Kat Matui and Salak, I think, to fight this big like cluster blob of, of stuff that's coming towards Earth. And the Green Lanterns are pouring all their energy into like one big beam to, to redirect this whatever it is. It's like an asteroid that's covered with some kind of like organism that's going to crash into Earth or something. And they're not able to put quite enough willpower into it. But then Superman flies up underneath them and he puts his hands around where all four of their hands are putting together and it like multiplies their willpower energy by like 100%. And that also makes me think of how blue blue lanterns work where they're, you know, they can fly and they have force shield and they can heal people, but their main power is to enhance Green Lanterns. And in the Future State House of L one-shot, and then later in an Action Comics annual during uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's current run, we see that one of the possible future uh, descendants of Superman does become a Blue Lantern. And so this one panel at the top of the page where Superman is telling Simon and Jessica that he believes in them and to use their willpower to fight back, and they begin to break free of the hold, it really comes across as the presence of Superman um, enhancing their willpower 
And I really like that. I really like the idea of Superman being able to boost a Green Lantern's willpower, uh, which reminds me of a Blue Lantern, which you know just reinforces the fact that a House of L should be a Blue Lantern at some point. But anyway, as they near, uh, as they continue to go through re-entry, Simon and Jessica pass out. Uh, Superman kind of holds them in place as he pushes back against the satellite. He's thinking um, that people will always believe that Superman will save the day, but Clark Kent knows he can't always do it alone. I believe in the power of others, but then and then Wonder Woman's boot comes out of nowhere and it thumps into the side of the satellite just above his head. And we see on the next page, in the double page splash, as she is perched on the side of the watchtower right above him, pushing against it while she helps, while she fights the android. And in her other hand, she's grabbed Batman's grapple line, holding him and the escape pod in place. Uh, <laughs> while, again, Superman continues to try to stop the watchtower from falling to Earth. And the way it reads is that on the next page, they've entered Earth's atmosphere. They're over India. And so with Batman and Wonder Woman both pushing against the Watchtower to keep it from falling, and with the Wonder Woman holding on to Batman's grapple line, Batman is using the escape pod's thrusters to steer the Watchtower, which is really neat. And... Um, Wonder Woman quickly explains that the, the nature of the actual virus. She says, these beings who call themselves the enlightened, they were only defending themselves. So they just, <laughs> the Trinity decides to land the Watchtower on top of the Mumbai uh, LexCorp building. <laughs> and uh, Superman says uh, all of his buildings were equipped to withstand, well, me. It should hold. And we see it, we see the very, very bottom tip of the satellite resting on the the top of the L for LexCore, which is pretty great. Um, uh, um, the Wonder Woman says that the android was programmed to never leave his ship, so he can't get out and hurt anybody. Uh, Wonder Woman says he's he's done. They don't. I don't think they really show what happens to the android other than the fact that he's basically immobilized. There's nothing he can do about anything. Uh, as they land, Aquaman snaps out of his, uh, out of his you know, trance, whatever that the virus has him in. The, the, the helmet falls off of his head. Uh, and Simon and Jessica wake up and they use their rings to stabilize the satellite above the city so that it doesn't topple over and crush millions of people. And just then Cyborg wakes up because he's been rebooted by the escape pods. And so far we've had the dialogue for each of our Trinity characters is very specific in the caption boxes. So Wonder Woman's is red with white letters. Batman's is black with white letters and Superman's is blue with white letters. But on uh, one of the last pages, we get a new internal monologue box. It's yellow with purple letters. And the, the internal monologue says, I had my doubts they would be able to save the day. 
and then as we get the splash page of the Trinity standing on top of the watchtower as the virus in their true form, as it, they look just like a bunch of little little glowing lights. They're very firefly reminiscent. They begin flying up out into the atmosphere, and Wonder Woman is is watching very pleased. Batman is obviously skeptical, and Superman is standing there with his hand out, letting one land on his hand as the rest fly into the sky. And this mysterious internal monologue voice says, now I believe in them more than ever. I was born in a dark place. And we see uh, sometime later, our Trinity is in their civilian identities and they're out in the woods. And Wonder Woman is wearing a pair of gray jeans and a white button-up shirt and a black jacket. Batman is wearing gray pants and a dark gray shirt and a dark gray overcoat. And Superman is wearing blue jeans and a white button-up and like a Back to the Future vest, you know, just like orange vest for everybody teased him because they, in the 50s, because they thought he was in the Navy. One of those. And they're standing in the woods and they're standing by a stream and they're watching little petals like float by on the stream. And uh, Wonder Woman says that the, the viral creatures are now known as the perfect and they can now do what they were meant to do together and they can adapt and convert to the ecosystem around them, becoming something beautiful and help our planet become better for it. Uh, Superman says the perfect are in a contagion. They're an adaptive symbiotic organism for all we know. They're already, they're on earth already. So basically it's saying it doesn't matter that these things are on earth now. They, a form of them has probably always been here and the ones that have come to Earth will just adapt to the natural ecosystem and not really change anything. But the internal monologue uh, continues to go on. I was born in a dark place, rebirthed in the light. Thanks to them, I have learned change is always possible. I, I am as connected to them as much as they are to each other. They may not understand it, but, they're, but they feel it. And we can see that this voice this internal monologue begin, belongs to what looks like a girl, uh, very young, maybe like like preteen age, with turquoise skin, yellow eyes, and white hair. And they continue to say, I have shed my past. I was the White Mercy, who we saw in the first story arc, which was a being born in the dream, in Mongols' dreamscape inside the Black Mercy, who was kind of sort of adopted by Poison Ivy while she was kind of plant tripping her way through the green. And somehow when Mongol, Mongol's consciousness escaped the Black Mercy and entered Superman, somehow the White Mercy escaped the Black Mercy dreamscape as well. And, um, and, um, the, the white mercy continues to say, I was the white mercy and them a Trinity. We all continue to grow. And just the very last page we see, um, Superman and Wonder Woman flying Batman back up to the waiting bat plane, which is hovering against a very large sun in the background. Um, I don't really know what's going on with the white mercy. I don't know if they are going to continue 
to be a, a reoccurring theme here in the series, or if it's just something that Manipul is going to let go. I think Manipul's run on the series, it looks like it's pretty much at an end. So I'm just scrolling through uh, right now. Uh, Manipul has definitely one more issue, but it looks like a one and done. And then Rob Williams takes over for a bit. And then James Robinson does the uh, wraps up the series from issues what issue 16 to 22 and 22 is the last episode in 2018 so unless uh Manipul does something in it looks like like he has two more issues he has issue 12 and issue 15 and they both look like one and dones so unless he does something with the White Mercy in one of those two, I don't think we're ever going to see the White Mercy again, which is too bad because they are a pretty interesting character. And this was a pretty fun story arc. It's not super deep, but it is a lot of fun and it was pretty interesting. So definitely worth a read if you haven't checked it out already. And that does it for our comic book coverage for this episode. So I'm going to step away for just a second and I'll be right back to wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 65 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. I apologize for this episode being a little shorter than what we've been doing the past few months. I have a feeling that we're going to be going back to the pattern of just two issues per episode, at least for the next couple of weeks, while I adjust to a very different schedule that I've you know got right now as far as responsibilities. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. And if you do, if, excuse me, if you do enjoy the show, and if you'd like to help support it. Because once again, the show is ad-free and your support makes a lot of difference as far as how much time I have to record and how much I can upgrade the show as far as the technology that I use to make it and edit it and so forth. I would invite you to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. I have a couple different uh uh, subscription tiers over there. All the tiers get you access to uh, a ton of bonus content, which is my uh, my coverage of my favorite classic right now, post-crisis Superman stories. I've got stories going all the way back to 1987, and we're currently in 1993, talking about the reign of the Superman. When that wraps up in probably a month and a half to two months, then I'll be switching from the 90s. I'll be using the return of Superman in the rain to transition to my coverage of the movie Superman Returns. And after that, I'll be continuing the theme with the return of Superman's powers after Infinite Crisis, beginning with 2006's Up, Up, and Away story arc. And my plan from that point is to continue on through the late 2000s for a time. Um, just sometimes I just need to switch things up and, and I'm just ready to be done talking about the nineties for a little while 
But for those of you that are Patreon subscribers or are thinking about signing up in the future, I will undoubtedly double back around to the 90s at some point. Other ways you can support the show are giving it a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow me on social media at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Spoutable by searching for Truth, Justice, and Hope. Next week, I'm going to talk about the two issues I didn't have time to get to this week. That will be Action Comics number 984 and Super Sons number 6. What I'm thinking about doing after that point is instead of switching up titles back and forth constantly, is staying with two titles per episode through an entire story arc. So after I finish up the Revenge story arc in Action Comics, I'm going to switch over to Superman. I'm going to cover the two-part arc that's there, along with a new Superman, and finish that story arc that we've been talking about there for a while. Then once those are done, then I'll switch over to two different titles, and I'll continue on them through the completion of their story arcs. Maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't, I don't know, but I like to try new things and and try to keep it fresh. So I hope you do enjoy, and if you prefer my current method of just literally going chronologically book to book to book, if you prefer that, let me know, and I can always switch back. But again, um, that will that'll start two weeks. Next week, I'll finish up those two those two uh, stories, and we'll go forward from there. But until then, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.